Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. Our guest today is Mark Brandenburg. Mark is an attorney with nearly 15 years of experience in estate planning, estate administration, and probate law. His practice focuses primarily on estate planning and administration, which includes advice on the use of wills, revocable living trusts, gifting trusts, lifetime gifting programs, and other tools and techniques designed to limit exposure to estate tax and estate litigation. He also counsels clients with regard to adult guardianships, tax controversies, and family estate disputes. Thanks for joining us, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here. So the subject of today's episode is Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy was arguably the most famous black entertainer of the 20th century, with more than 48 records and albums, 39 films, several books, and half a dozen Broadway productions. He was also an accomplished photographer who had photographed his variety of super famous friends, Frank Sinatra, Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin, James Dean, Nat Kim Cole, and Marilyn Monroe, just to name a few. And that's not even including the political figures like Robert F. Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Sammy was incredibly successful. He made millions each year. Unfortunately, he spent considerably more than that. He had extravagant tastes and an indulgent lifestyle and he lavished his third wife, Altavis, who we'll talk more about in a bit, with luxurious and exquisite gifts. Unfortunately, Sammy did not always manage his business affairs very well. He'd been underpaid by recording studios for years, signed contracts in less than favorable terms, and in some instances, he'd failed to secure the master recordings of his own songs, which during this time period for recording artists is an all-too-familiar refrain. He left insurance policies for Altavis and three adult children when he died, and a policy covering business and household expenses. Unfortunately, Sammy's debt was such that all the royalties from film and TV appearances, as well as records and other memorabilia, had to be paid directly to the IRS, and the estate had to agree not to issue any new Davis material until the IRS debt was cleared. After Sammy's death, the debts were transferred to his estate, and Altavis became liable for the IRS debt because she had co-signed Sammy's tax returns. Sammy's executors and the IRS eventually reached a settlement in 1997. Now, if you'll allow me a quick tangent, Altavisa's estate itself was also pretty interesting. She died in March 2009 and left a will produced from a form on LegalZoom in 2008 that left her entire estate to the couple's adopted son, Manny. The estate's main asset was, of course, the right to many of Sammy Javis Jr.'s works. So that online will replaced a 2004 will that had left her estate to her two business partners whom she later accused of defrauding her through the use of liens, mortgages, and powers of attorney, gaining partial control of Sammy's legacy and 
thereby most of AltaVista's assets. AltaVista's online will was challenged on the grounds that it didn't actually reflect her intentions, but the court ultimately ruled that the will met all legal formalities, ruling that it was an expression of Mrs. Davis's intent with regard to her estate and what she wanted to happen to it. So this was a huge victory for Manny, but it was also arguably an even larger victory for LegalZoom itself. Now that all being said, insolvency in an estate is what we're here to talk about today. So Mark, do you mind filling our audience in as to what paying out debts during a state's administration looks like? And maybe give us some insight into how a client can somehow be simultaneously wealthy and insolvent? Yes, I'm happy to do that. There's really a, a paradox of wealth and insolvency, in my experience, where the millionaire next door may not have as much saved up as it appears. And where you have someone who is both has the appearance of having nice things, uh, but also when you look at their balance sheet, is heavily leveraged, then they may end up being at their death and a state that is insolvent where the debts are greater than the assets. What it looks like when faced with that kind of estate as the survivors are is usually a mess. There's often a lot left behind that the decedent, uh, who's the person who, who's, who died, uh, leaves for the family or the friend or whoever is put in charge of the estate to wrestle with. And those can be, it, it can be uh, debts to the IRS, just like uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Um, it can be debts to business partners. It can be a, a, a house that doesn't have any equity in it uh, and has a mortgage that needs to be paid. And, uh, and the list goes on of things that can uh, cause uh, a headache that isn't usually there in a typical estate where insolvency is not an issue. So you, you mentioned all these different types of debts. Um, what's the sort of order of these things being paid out? Is it sort of first come first serve or is there a big fight amongst the debtors or is there sort of uh, generally an order that, that they're assigned? In a typical estate where insolvency is not an issue, when I advise uh, executors who are in charge of those estates, what I tell them to do is go ahead and identify who the creditors are that the decedent owed money to. And there's also a, a procedure in, 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 in most states to identify those creditors. So that might be, the creditors might be uh, the mortgage company that needs to be paid the mortgage, uh, utilities that uh, are on the house, credit card bills, maybe medical expenses from uh, the last illness that are due. And I tell the executor, just go ahead and, and pay those. And once those are out of the way, we'll then work on distributing the remaining assets out to the beneficiaries. And that's very simple. But when you have an insolvent estate, just paying the creditors is very dangerous unless you have, unless the executor has carefully considered who to pay and when to pay them. So in each state, uh, there is a list of priority as to which creditors are paid first, especially if there's not enough money to pay all the creditors. For example, in Georgia, we have uh, a list that puts funeral expenses at the top. And there's also a, a uniform uh, probate code that provides a list of priorities uh, that some of the states in the country have used as a model. And that list tells the executor who you should pay first, second, third, and so on until you don't have any money left. 
So just to give some quick examples from that uniform probate code, you know, there are six classes basically of, and this is not every state, but this is sort of a good guideline of what this looks like. You know, the, and the, the six classes sort of get paid out in the following order, right? So first, it's costs and expenses of administration. Second is reasonable funeral expenses, as Mark mentioned. Th third is debts and taxes with preference under federal law. Fourth is reasonable and necessary medical and hospital expenses of the last illness of the decedent, including compensation of purposes, persons attending him. Five is debts and taxes with preference under other laws of the state. And six is all other claims. And this is the six is, is, is obviously a, a massive category. But when we're looking at these categories and we're talking about sort of these debts as an abstract, how much wiggle room is there here? Is this in paying these off? Is it just you have to pay the full amount to one and then you move on to two and you're just like clicking off a checklist? Or um, is there some area for, for negotiation to happen? That's a great question uh, because the answer is very important. The answer is there is no wiggle room as far as uh, the different classes that you just named. So you look at each class, which is, which is each category you just described, and within that class, you need to make sure you have enough money to pay all the creditors that fit within that, uh, that class. If you don't have enough money, then you prorate who gets what so that they each get a percentage of uh, what's available. But you don't want to go to the next class and pay the next group until you have satisfied um, the first class. Also, when uh, I say there's no wiggle room, is that there, there is some debate uh, about whether the state law that you're following when you read it, your, when you look at your priority, is consistent with federal law. And when you have federal debts, uh, especially to the IRS, um, this can get very sticky for the executor or personal representative who's in charge of the estate. In fact, there was a recent case which has put fear in a lot of personal representatives that uh, came out of a federal court that says that the federal government is, has the highest priority regardless of what your state statute says. And if you put the federal government at the highest priority, that means that they even take precedent over uh, a state ex uh, over expenses of administration. And expenses of administration include legal fees for lawyers like me, include uh, accountant fees for CPAs that are going to be necessary in handling an estate like this. And I think most concerning for, for clients is it also includes commissions for the personal representative who's done the work. Uh, and in, in my experience, the with insolvent estates, oftentimes it is a friend or a business associate who becomes the personal representative because in, in, in a few cases I've seen the decedent had uh, some broken family relationships and doesn't name the family member as, uh, or a family member as the executor. So you're talking about a friend who is stepping in to pay creditors and may not get any compensation for all the hard work that he or she is going to put into it. And, you know, and also, in addition to this you know, question of whether they're getting compensation, and, and executor choice is something that we've, we've harped on on this podcast several times. People try to choose people that they trust, you know, and let, maybe they think more about that this person I trust is and they're closer to me, and they maybe should be thinking more in terms of who's capable of actually doing this very important job. So sometimes you end up with like Uncle John 
the farmer doing it when because you trust him the most and he's your closest relative when in reality you're a wealthy person with a complex estate and maybe this should be a professional who you've actually signed to do this job. However, you know, we're talking about executors and them getting paid, but are executors taking on any liability for any of these? Like what, how responsible is the executor himself or herself for, for these debts? It's a good practice regardless of what kind of estate a person is handling to have advisors. I think a team of advisors is always useful of three, uh, three kinds of advisors, the financial advisor, the uh, legal advisor, which would be like an estate planning, probate, and tax attorney. And then the third is a CPA or you know, accountant who can help with tax returns. So having advisors is important no matter what kind of estate we're talking about. But in an insolvent estate, I think it's even more important. And the personal representative, the executor, should rely on uh, those advisors uh, before making any, any decisions about the estate because there is personal liability that, that the executor could have, uh, particularly, again, if we're talking about debts to the IRS. And I found in insolvent estates that, that uh, the IRS is almost always a creditor because somewhere in there, especially with uh, celebrity cases, you know, to bring it back to Sammy Davis Jr., there is usually a um, debt to, to the IRS. And the, IRS, the federal government has a statute uh, called the Federal Priority Statute, which says that, it, that a personal representative can have personal liability if they send the money to the wrong place and not to the IRS, which is really a frightening uh, statute because imagine a scenario where an executor pays a, pays, um, a credit card uh, debt or a medical debt or, or it makes a, a payment to a beneficiary um, who may be a child of the decedent. The executor is not receiving any benefit from doing those things. But if the IRS feels that, that uh, the executor was wrong in making those payments before paying the IRS, then the executor is the one who may have personal liability for that decision. Yeah, and just think of the complications of trying to undo such a decision. Is right. You're, what are you looking at? You're looking at, oh, I gave it to your son and now, or your daughter, and now I need to tell them, oh, actually, I need that money back. And that's kind of the, the almost the, the best case, right? Because otherwise, you know, I paid it off to Prudential or Visa, and it's like, good luck working with that massive corporation to get it back and with the IRS breathing down your neck. Right. I, and I think uh, good luck may be the answer to anyone you give the money to. Uh, <laughs> you know, you'd, be, you'd be very fortunate if the money was still there um, when you needed it back. So when we're talking about these amounts in terms of individual creditors, is there a negotiation room with the individual creditors within these categories? I have found in my experience that the answer is, is yes, that working with uh, creditors is, is something that I've I found uh, successful if you communicate frequently with the creditors and are upfront with them about the situation. In an insolvent estate, the, the time that I have found it takes to get to the finish line is much greater than a, a typical solvent estate. So you, you can tell the creditor, look, we have a limited amount of money. Uh, you're fortunate enough to be in the class of creditors who is going to get paid something, but you're probably not gonna get paid for a long time because we still need to either pay other creditors first 
or we need to sell uh, illiquid assets and, and find a way to generate some cash in order to pay you. So here's a little bit of money that we have now, and we can pay you this now, or you can wait several years and, and wait for it to get to you, hopefully, uh, eventually. And I found that, that creditors are willing to negotiate, uh, particularly if they are aware of their low priority. For example, in, in most states, the the all other claims category would include credit card companies, which are unsecured debt. And, uh, and I found that the, the credit card companies send their debt over to collection agencies, and the collection agencies have been uh, easy to work with as far as negotiating uh, a payment that's a reduced amount. Hmm. I think the important thing to remember here is that all these creditors are really interested, their ultimate interest is not in punishing the estate or punishing the executive. They just want to get their money. So if they're looking at the prospect of getting no money versus getting some money, they're going to be shockingly open to that. I think it's also just something cultural about Americans is that we're kind of trained that like, oh, well, the price is the price and that the cost, oh, the prices are final. And we're not really like a haggling culture. But this is an area where like a certain amount of haggling can be you know, very, very beneficial and even some necessary. And um, particularly, I mean, even including the IRS, I think a lot of professionals or your, and clients especially kind of just think of the IRS as, um, you know, this enforcement division. It's, it's the tax cops, basically. Ultimately, the, the IRS's job is revenue. It's right there in the name, right? It's the Internal Revenue Service. So again, you know, the IRS is not out to, to punish you necessarily. I mean, they are, but they're more interested in getting some amount of money, especially out of a wealthy insolvent client where it's like, okay, well, we're looking at no dollars or several million dollars, or we're going to hold that if we don't hold out for this $50 million that we're actually owed. Like that's a win for the, for that agent. If you can get some money out of you know, some blood out of that stone. And you see this a lot, especially with celebrity states. I think you see this a lot with when Donald Trump's father, uh, when, when that broke with the, with the New York times, they saw there was a lot of people who were, I think, surprised at sort of how much, backdoor dealings that were going on with the IRS that they thought were like unsavory. But it's like, well, no, this is kind of like some of it's unsavory, but some of it is, this is what you're kind of supposed to do. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I have personal experience working with clients who have been successful at negotiating with the IRS and with state departments of revenue. As long as uh, you have good legal counsel that can uh, express to the, the revenue departments that uh, you have limited resources, and that as a result, uh, you, you are interested in negotiating, they're more willing to take money now than, than hope that you'll somehow find money later. On the, on the, same, on the other side, though, I will say that the IRS has a, a long timeline. Uh, when, I, when I think about credit card companies, they want their money now and then they'll write off the rest of the debt. But the IRS uh, is a very serious and has a very long view on how long they're, they're willing to wait and they'll continue to charge penalties and interest until they, until they get everything that they believe they're due. So thus far, and kind of by the nature of this topic, we're talking about you know, sort of damage that's already being done, and we're just trying to you know, correctly sort of paper over as much as we can with what's kind of already a problem that, that's occurred. Generally in estate planning, you know, with the emphasis on planning, a lot of what we're doing is prevention. And so if I have a client, like obviously... You can't, you don't know, most clients don't know when they're going to die. Obviously, things would be so much easier. But if you have a client who sort of is getting up there in age and is looking sort of insolvent, 
are there steps they can take to sort of, I guess, massage who gets this? You're still going to have to pay it. But in terms of to, pr- to help like prioritize who will get it a little bit more than this list, are there, are there techniques that could be used to protect certain funds for certain people from debtors? Well, um, and that opens up a, a number of areas, which may be outside the scope of, of this uh, podcast today. But everyone has to be careful about trying to avoid creditors uh, in a manner that is uh, fraudulent. So if, if a member of your audience right now is thinking, well, why don't they just give away their money before they die? has to be done with great care uh, not to avoid creditors. Um, there, is one, there is one technique that uh, can be used after death, which, it, which is uh, in some states called an elective share. And in Georgia, where I'm talking to you from, it's called a year's support. But what it allows is the surviving spouse can go through the probate court and basically declare a hardship and as a result can receive some, or in some cases, all of the uh, deceased spouse's estate and eliminate creditors. So there's that that can be done at the end. Now, when we talk about estate planning before death, I really think that, it, that an individual should be mindful of whether they have so many debts that, that their assets are not going to pay them off at, at, at death. And, and if that's going to be the case, then consider what impact that's going to have on, the, on their family. Because I think that many insolvent decedents don't recognize that they're leaving a mess for their personal representative and that their family is probably going to receive none of the things that the family enjoyed during life. Interesting. And I think that's common sort of with a lot of estate planning issues, right? That people, if they even sit down to do an estate plan, they're it's sort of very focused on their own mortality and their own legacy and these sorts of things. And they, they hope it should happen more, but only very rarely do they really project far enough into the future to be like, okay, well, what's this really going to mean for, for my family and, and down the line? And it, it's almost like, can I get them the most, but also how much are they expecting me to get them? And a lot of times it's just managing expectations and, and communication like anything else with the family and with the creditors, I think is, is sort of a huge emphasis here that doesn't necessarily cost anything. And I agree. And I think that celebrities, when we focus on celebrities on, on this podcast, really highlight in many cases the, the lack of uh, forethought. I mean, in the cases that, that, that you bring to your audience because they're ones that didn't go well usually. <laughs> but whether they're insolvent or not, it's the consideration of what they want their legacy to be. And I'm sure many celebrities who end up in the papers because their estate is disputed, their estate is insolvent, or their, you know, or, or, or other reasons, that's probably not the legacy that they wanted for their brand. We're just about out of time here, Mark. But I like to put my guests on the spot at the very end just to freak them out. So if you had to leave our sort of advisor listeners with the broad stroke, the, the one most important thing to keep an eye out for, to keep in mind, when you're looking at a, a potentially insolvent estate, well, what would that be? Well, if you're, if you're an advisor who can identify a client that may be leaving an insolvent estate before they're deceased, I think it's a good idea to get ahead of that and start planning who's going to be the executor and how the assets are going to be distributed at death to pay which creditors. If you've already, uh, you know, if the person's already deceased and you're, you're faced with an insolvent estate, I highly recommend getting a team of advisors, the financial advisor, the lawyer, and the accountant, 
together and work with the executor to carefully handle the insolvent estate. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. I'd like to thank Mark Brandenburg for being a fantastic guest. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And for all our audience, uh, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.